Hey guys, what's up? It is week 116. I have some reviews for you. Um, in this video, I just want to address that uh, towards the end, we talk about Once About a Time in Hollywood. It's minimal spoiling, but it's less even a review or a coverage in the movie, and there's a lot of just kind of me ranting. And I don't want to do that because you just sound like a crazy person when you rant. And I may be crazy, but you guys don't need to see me being that crazy. And um, I, I do say some things that, you know, some people could probably be upset with. I'm just kind of giving you guys a warning. I, I don't think it's too offensive or anything or crazy, you know, too bad. But it, it might just be a little off-putting to some people. And I, what I didn't mean by that is, you know, people that dislike Tarantino, I don't, I don't think, you know, that they're doing it just to be jerks. But there's a lot of people out there that are just haters, you know, a lot of people that can't, you know, they just hate, 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 they don't enjoy film, and they're just out there being, you know, spiteful and not enjoying it, and I don't mean everybody that dislikes Tarantino or this movie is that kind of person, but there is probably some of them, and that's what I'm addressing in that video, so that's uh, later on, uh, me and Jeremy went and saw it, so we talk about it a bit and everything, I just didn't want to pass it up, I felt, you know, like I had a lot to say, or I was emotional about the movie and everything in general, so I kind of spit it out there. But I guess we're going to start this uh, video out with uh, kind of a strange one. It's from Arrow Video. It is FM. Yeah. It's about a radio station. Come on, right? Uh, this movie I hadn't really heard about. Um, the first thing I noticed was there's two people from Clue in this movie. I love Clue. Clue's great. Clue's very funny. Martin Mull and uh, I can't think of the Brennan. Brenner. I, I can't think of her name, but she plays Peacock. So uh, Colonel Mustard and Peacock are both in this movie. This movie is made in the late 70s, I think 78, and it's about a radio station, the most popular in the area. So boom, right there, you know you're getting a great soundtrack. Tons of great needle drops. The looks great in the movie because, you know, everybody's the 70s style. Uh, the studio or basically this radio show, uh, station is ran by this guy, played by Michael Brandon, who is in uh, Dario movie, Dario Argento movie, so that's cool, uh, and he's kind of a unique character, he, whatever, the, the, this whole movie is basically about this radio personalities, all have their own cool little shows, like one does kind of like a jazz thing, one's kind of like a love doctor, one plays like this seductress kind of older woman, so, and it's just like the politics in a way, but the dramatic, you know, interactions between these people and everything, and a glimpse into the radio life, the disc jockey life, kind of like that movie Songwriter with uh, Chris Christopherson in it and Willie Nelson. It's like that, but also, but a radio station. So what we have here is like the big studio heads want them to start running these military ads, uh, James Ke which involves the scene with James Keach, who plays a colonel. Really funny scene. And uh, they kind of want to refuse. So it's, it's a lot of tension between them. And, of course, it turns into kind of a, almost an airheads-like situation where they take over the radio station. This movie is very fluffy. Um, it, it, it's not very realistic. It doesn't end very realistic, but I don't think that's what they're going for here. The characters are fairly likable. For the most part, I enjoyed all of them. Cleavon Little is in here as well. From Surf 2! I know that's a weird thing to throw out there, but, yeah, he is in Surf 2. So there's that going on. I really like Mark. Martin Mole, I think he's really a fun actor, and I always loved him. He was my, always my favorite in um, Clue, so it was nice seeing him in another movie. The acting's solid, the characters are good, the interactions are good, the story is fun. It's not anything that you'll uh, think is something that's going to stay with you forever, but it's a movie I had never really heard anybody talk about or didn't even know it was being released, and uh, you know until it was out, and I was like, oh, oh that looks kind of interesting. I'm, I'm into you know you know. Uh, timepieces, and I love that it takes place in the 70s, so the music needle drops are perfect, uh, it looks great, it ends on kind of a cheesy note, super cheesy note, um, 
the lead is, you know, he has charisma, he's good, he's solid, um, and it has a decent cast that fill it in. Um, all in all, it's not a perfect movie, of course, but it's it, it's very entertaining. It's, it's a good way to spend, you know, an hour and a half. You won't be disappointed. On the disc, there's an interview with the writer, which was interesting. Uh, he said he was working with a director who was kind of an old school guy, and he actually, the writer had experience working in, you know, the radio world, so he would have slight arguments with the director here and there, which, uh, and, and a big uh, standstill was at one point, not standstill, but a slight argument, I guess I'll say, was that uh, the director didn't think that the the lead character, the hero of his movie, would speed or run a red light. And it's like, come on, that's just so silly. Uh, different time, right? Different generations there, generation argument there. And uh, there's also an interview with the lead, Michael Brandon, and it's cool to see him talk about his career and whatnot. And then the last thing is a, a kind of a film, a music expert going through all the needle drops in a song and explaining, uh, you know, their context into the movie, which is a nice little touch. But uh, I, I was happy with the movie. I thought it was solid, and it's something that I hadn't heard many talk about or hadn't seen. So that is FM. Uh, it's, all, it's an interesting point, you know. It, it is, you know, a comedy kind of drama thing, but hey, it's cool. On the uncommercial sound of QSKY. QSKY, where we never come down to earth. The soundtrack itself begins with the title song, FM, by Steely Dan, written by Walter Becker and Donald Fagan. It's one of the last Steely Dan songs on which uh, Fagan and Becker play a lot of the instruments. Are you listening to Q-Sky, my little darlings? FM, Laura Cole, Bobby, and Swan, and the entire staff of Q Sky Los Angeles are now going on strike. Are right, you in the building? We have just received the court injunction ordering you to vacate the premises. You have three minutes to do so. You know, Jeffrey, we could get our asses handed to us for this. You know, Eric, it couldn't happen to a nice bunch of people. I'm with you. Okay, this next one is The 27 Club. This is a horror movie from Cleopatra Entertainment. And Cleopatra is a weird thing to me. Their movies look like really, you know, crisp at the time. And they always they always have you like a kind of a, you know, they look low budget, but they also have, you know, a nice look to them or all the similar look. So it's like kind of like a, a mid-tier budget kind of movie thing. 
and they really hit and miss for me. Uh, I enjoyed the, I can't even think of the black room I thought was really cool and really fun by the guy who did, um, there's something out there or there's nothing out there. I can't remember the title, the old, uh, trauma distributed movie, but he, uh, I thought that one was pretty unique and the rest I was kind of iffy on. I was kind of, I thought they were kind of misses, although some of them had some fun moments. The 27 club is a weird movie. And right after I got done watching it, I was like, I don't know how to register this. I can't explain exactly the plot. I just don't, I don't know what I watched. So I started looking at other people's reviews and a lot of people said the same thing. It feels real disjointed. And I was like, okay, good. I just, I, I, I was worried that I was getting lazy. Like I wasn't paying attention and maybe I am a little guilty of that, but I certainly wasn't the only one. So <laughs> the 27 club. Okay. This is a weird movie. It, it follows us. Obviously everybody, I, I don't know if everybody knows what the 27 club is, but it's kind of like a group of a famous musical artist who died at 27. All uh, starting with a, uh, geez, I can't think of the guy's name, but you know, people like Jim Morrison, Amy Winehouse, Jimmy Hendrix, Janis Joplin, all those people, um, Kurt Cobain were in the 27 Club, and uh, they uh, all died mysteriously or tragic deaths at the age of 27. So it, it plays into that mythology, and we get these weird black and white images where people playing those characters come in. That could probably bother some people here and there, and they, they're saying things, and you know, I think actual quotes by the people. Uh, the person who plays Jim Morrison, I think, was John Morrison, the wrestler. So that's kind of that's kind of funny. But it, it could probably bother some people. I thought, you know, if this movie was made a little bit more, um, I don't want to say that competently or different, or the script was different, I think that it could have been pretty unique and pretty cool. Um, and I think that idea is not necessarily an awful idea, although some people could look at it as exploitative. Um, the whole plot, it feels like this black magic kind of thing where this girl wants to be, a, she's a struggling singer and there's a videographer that's following her around, wants to make a documentary about her and they get tied into the 27 Club and some demonic stuff happens and some people get killed and there's, you know, some, some you know, shady things going on. That's kind of the plot of the movie. There's some blood and some gore and a couple decent moments. I kind of like the lead actress in the movie. I, I liked her look. I thought that um, she did a decent job in the movie. I can't really say much else about it. Didn't, didn't love the film it really uh, there, on the desk there's a you know this is dvd and a soundtrack on there as well there's an interview with the two leads very short interviews a couple minutes long a piece but uh it, it's just kind of a mess but also i i couldn't say it's the worst movie i ever saw it's just something that leaves me uh a little disjointed in itself like it's kind of all over the place in a lot of ways but i think that there is something there and i think that the idea is a little unique but also just a weird thing to make a horror movie about in general on the 27 club channel my energy into something that I'm actually passionate about. Do you think these connections are real? No, more and more as I keep researching. I'd gladly call it Life at 27 if it meant I had half the success Amy had. The musicians who died at 27 seem to represent their generation in a significant way. They perpetuate this live fast, die young fantasy that most people are too afraid to go after. The only thing I haven't done is communicate with the dead. But that would be entirely your decision. I wouldn't even know where to start. If you don't open up the door, you don't get the pick when it comes out. All day, sit on the guns!
Okay, here we go. We got Scary Stories. Don't confuse this with Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark that's coming out, produced by Del Toro. This is actually a documentary about the books that we all grew up reading and loving, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. The three books by, um, uh, what was his name, Schwartzman or Schwartzman? I can't think of Schwartz, Alan Schwartz, and uh, the illustrator as well. This is a documentary that covers the series, The Controversy, and it has a nice little story arc that comes together in a confrontation at the end that I think makes it, you know, a story in the in the documentary. you got to find your story when you're making your documentary. So this interviews people that grew up with the book, illustrators and writers and stuff like that, that love the book. It also is telling the story of these people bringing this live art exhibit uh, from the pages of the book to life. So we have that going on. But the main core of this story to me was the interview the writer's son and he talks about his relationship with his father and that's just some of the most interesting and touching stuff that you know him and his father didn't have the best relationship and you know he wishes things were a little different and that's interesting uh and there's also an interview with one of the ladies who tried to get the books pulled from the uh the libraries when they were uh when they were out in the controversy and there's a story in there about a librarian who fought it and how it goes to court and all these things like that and that's also interesting and at the end of the movie they kind of bring these things together you know the the sun and you know the face of that whole movement so I like that that was kind of unique and interesting and I also um, certain points uh, talking head movies are okay I don't always hate them sometimes if you're watching a documentary about uh, some individual or something and they have all these people that knew them or involved with them or experts on it and then you just have a fan in there you're like hey, okay what's going on here but these people have become you know writers or illustrators I don't I don't know uh, any of the people's works or, or anything like that so they you know they could be big they could be small I don't know uh, R.L. Stein is also interviewed on here, which is nice, and he talks, he gives him some love and everything like that. And I didn't know a lot of the stuff in here about the depths that they actually, the writer um, actually went into and looked in a lot of the folklore and everything like that. And these stories actually pertain to certain areas all around the world that have folklore, and I like that. These were always really entertaining stories, and the illustrations were very haunting growing up, and everybody always told their friends. They go over a lot of this stuff, but um, the one thing also that interested me is they kind of talk about what happened to the illustrator. When I was a kid I had a teacher tell me that he drew all these beautiful pictures and then he like died tragically or something like that and I don't think that's exactly what happened he kind of just is an isolated guy that really doesn't like to be interviewed or talk about his work and uh, that, that's kind of what happened more so and uh, I, I learned that so there's that that's it's, it's a documentary about the scary stories book it, it's not you know a super well-produced documentary or anything. It's not million-dollar documentary, but they had some nice little artist renditions and stuff like that. And they have interviews with uh, some of the family members and uh, that whole thing. There's a, there's a lot to tell here, and they do a pretty good job with it. It was entertaining. It was informative. It was solid. It's uh, This is, I think, a Wild Eye release. So, you know, Wild Eye releases a lot of ranging stuff from super no-budget stuff here to some foreign releases that are pretty solid to documentaries. So they have all that going on for them, but this one I thought was well worth your time. Part of Alvin Schwartz's brilliance was that he took all these old folk legends and made them readable for kids. And I think that's his particular genius. That book was talked about on the playground. There's something a little off-putting. But that's why it's so fascinating. You had to sign up a couple weeks in advance if you wanted to get them. Everybody knew these stories. And it was always a subject of dares. 
Like, I dare you to check out the book. Parents and teachers in a Seattle suburb will vote next week on a plan to ban three books from an elementary school library. Those who want to get rid of the book say they're just too gruesome for young readers. There is a horse that is grotesque, it is misshapen, it is disproportionate, it has a human eye. Growing up, I never really saw the Scary Stories books in light of them being widely banned, I just saw them as stories that my grandfather collected. He was the number one banned book author, and he just loved that. Children have a, a need to master the fears that they have in their life, so they kind of give readers a taste of the darker side of humanity. I always found it interesting that these books were challenged because we don't discourage students from reading Greek mythology or Robin Hood. I finally got the courage to check out the book myself. <laughs> Carrying it home in my, in my backpack and feeling like it was burning up. Okay, this next one is a horror anthology called Spunk's Not Dead. Okay, Spunk's Not Dead. Uh, this is a horror anthology with six stories in there. One uh, kind of all about this crazy drug called spunk, you know, junk. Also a take on, you know, the, you know, male sperm when people masturbate spunk. That's your spunk. Whatever. So we get six stories here. The whole wraparound is told by this conspiracy theorist, Alex Jones type, who throughout the segment starts to progressively get more high on different drugs. And of course, it leads up to spunk. There's six stories in here. The first story involves a babysitter who is bored. So she tries spunk and goes crazy, starts to hallucinate. Decent story. Uh, the next story is a PSA. This one I feel is a little too cheesy and PSAs, I think, when they um, are funny only when they're super genuine. A real PSA is funny, but when somebody's uh, parroting a PSA, if they get too goofy and too over the top, it kind of loses its kind of humor for me. So that's very subjective, but this is not very funny to me and it just really doesn't work. Kind of just too stupid for its own good. We have a story in here that is kind of like a more done seriously, almost like a crime film with a guinea pig. And this one is fairly decent. It's all right. I, I, I kind of enjoyed this one. I thought that uh, the approach was all right. And then there's a, a couple other stories. One with uh, zombie where it kind of turns people into zombies. And it's called like X-Zombie or something like that. That one's okay. People are kind of trapped in there and their friends are against each other. Not very memorable, but the highlighted one, most definitely, besides the wraparound, is the one that has video game kind of oriented where this character's going through withdrawal and he's kind of trying to fix himself up and he loves video games and he becomes entrapped in the video game when he is forced to take the drug after not taking it for so long and he goes through all these different levels of you know mayhem and craziness. And you know how it's going to turn out. You know what the twist is going to be but that one is still the most satisfying of the bunch. And the thing about horror anthologies, all made by different filmmakers that probably aren't shot in the same, uh, you know, in the same area or all by the same people at the same, all the shorts aren't the same people, it becomes kind of jarring and we get all these different tonal things. And sometimes some of the shorts become forgettable. Sometimes they're just, you know, not really going to be your cup of tea. It doesn't feel like a complete film. It's definitely kind of patched together. But this one's a little better about being not so patched together, but it does still feel that way at the same time. Um, the wraparound, like I said, is pretty decent, but all in all, a lot of these um, anthologies that are being made today feel very patched together. This one is is kind of in the middle. I didn't love it, but like I said, a couple of the shorts I really enjoyed, a couple I could you know take or leave, and a couple I'm like, eh, not for me. So it's right down the middle, and uh, I think it might be worth checking out. If a trailer interests you, check it out. It's called Spunk's Not Dead. There's a new drug on the streets. Every day it takes another life. 
Every day it destroys another soul, and it is getting worse and worse every minute. It goes by many names. BS-128, cool, hip, underground drug, mierda fuerte, but we know what it is. Spunk. They've tried to deny it, but we have proof, terrifying proof. Six unique filmmakers, six twisted tales of the scourge destroying America. going to happen but after this the world's going to know the truth the actual factual truth that is Okay, the next one was uh, a streaming link sent to me to review, and this is Henchman, uh, the Al Leone story. Yeah, you guys know who this guy is. He's in, he's a, a, a prolific Asian stuntman and, you know, actor, but he's a stuntman first. This is a documentary about his life. Um, this actor, you know, or stuntman, like I said, was in tons of things from Die Hard, Lethal Weapon, Last Action Hero, Big Trouble in Little China, Showdown in Little Tokyo, or Big Trouble in Little China, Showdown in Tokyo. I always mix those titles up. But he's in so many freaking movies. Rapid Fire. So here we go. This uh, kind of follows his life. And it starts. It doesn't start in his early childhood, which kind of, you know, I was like, I kind of wanted to see where this guy was born and raised and everything like that. It starts right away with his martial arts career and how he got started and everything like that. It has interviews with one fan. There's only one fan in here talking. And I guess that's okay, you know. But it also has people that knew him, uh, worked with him all throughout the years, other stuntmen, which I like seeing. It has interviews with him because he's still alive, thankfully. And uh, people like John Carpenter and other big stunt coordinators and and everything like that so yeah that's great and I love seeing John Carpenter in here because I get the impression that John Carpenter people always like he's kind of you know stiff or hard to talk to or just like short I don't really think that 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 it doesn't give that uh here that impression here I think he's probably talking tired of talking about the same things over and over again because when I see him in other documentaries and commentaries talking about other directors or other actors or stuff that doesn't directly pertain to Tim 100%, he's always so much more lively like when he's on the commentary talking about Rio Bravo, you know, he he's into it. Um but I'm I'm bet he's really really tired of talking about Halloween and the thing. He's just like, "Okay, I've done these the dead, stop asking me about them." Kind of like um when people go to conventions and uh they ask Tom Savini about Friday the 13th, you know, he's just like, "Okay, yeah. Come on, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of talking about it. I said everything I could possibly say ever about it, and it's not even my favorite work that I've done. So, like, in that, he he is genuinely, you know, into it, and he obviously is good friends with Al, and they talk about it, and uh, Sandy King's in here as well. So they cover his whole story from acting and all these different things and getting from the martial arts and talking about how, you know, the martial arts kind of business could be a little shady and people trying not to, you know, pay attention to him. And, of course, you know, in everybody's life, tragedy uh, strikes a couple times here, and I don't want to give away what happened because I didn't know this happened to him. And it's it, some of it's really, really heartbreaking because by all accounts, nobody had one bad thing to say about this guy. And he's worked with all the big action stars with the exception of what, like Chuck Norris and um, 
Stallone. So he's like worked with all of them. Uh, so it, it's just like sad to hear what happened to him and nobody had a bad word to say about him. And he seems like a, a fun, genuinely cool guy. And he was always one of those character actors, even though he was a stuntman first. And he says, it's like, I'm a stuntman, not really an actor, but he seemed to go above and beyond just the stuntman and become like this character actor henchman and stuff. Like I said, like he has these little bits and he's always so memorable in the movies. You never forget him. He has a super unique look and everything like that, like a Nicholas Worth or something. Although Nicholas Worth is more of an actor, not a stuntman, but you know what I'm saying? Like these henchmen that are just always baddies or always getting shot and you see him and you're like, this guy's going to get wasted. This guy's getting shot. This guy's doing some flips or fights or damage or something like that. Um, just always entertaining to see, always a, a, an improvement on your movie. So you're like, okay, he's in this. We're going to get some cool stuff going on. But they go over all the movies. They get footage from a lot of the movies too, which I thought was really cool because, you know, it has like, a, you know, like big movies, still like Big Trouble in China, Last Action Hero. You're like, yes, cool, cool. But I enjoyed seeing it. Uh, he's an interesting guy. It almost runs two hours long. Uh, his one, Some of his favorite stories and, you know, like is when he's sitting with his stuntman buddy and they're just sitting there talking. I like seeing that, you know, and especially... Uh, like it's like the Kane Hodder documentary too, where they get people that actually worked with him and, the, and from different points in his life. It's good, and I'm glad that we're seeing some of this stuff because you know stuntmen are probably the most underappreciated people on a movie set. I'm not, you know, I've done low budget movies and it's pretty much you do your own stunts, and they're not real stunts. They're just me falling or fake fighting or you know sometimes you get hurt a little bit, you get banged up. Um, these guys are doing severely dangerous things, going through windows, setting themselves on fire, doing these well choreographed martial arts scenes. So. To be honest, they're the most underappreciated guys in the business, from what I've seen. I'm not in the business. I'm just in any movies. But just from what I've seen, everything like that, it's like these guys are putting their life at, at hand here and, you know, stuff like that. So uh, just a great documentary. And also it kind of plays into Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because one of the main characters in that is a stuntman. So, uh, yeah, uh, you know, long live uh, stuntmen and Al and everybody like that because uh, it's really great to see them. And, and it's really great to see documentaries about them and see their lives because these people deserve, you know, the attention more so than a lot of the other people because they haven't got it for so long. So this is already out. All the information will be below and links and everything like that uh, over at the Screaming Toilet page. So check it out if you're interested. Yeah. Follow the leader. One, two, three. always say, hey, who's that guy with the goatee and the long hair? Can you get him? He had a very distinct look. His general look, the Fu Manchu mustache and hair. Watching him run, watching him move, I said, this guy is magic. His ability and his presence was very strong on screen. They may not even know his name at the beginning, but later they go, hey, can we get Al? speed, lightning speed. If you look at them, it's unbelievable how realistic they look and how much skill is involved. Something about Al, when he's on camera, uh, it's magic. 
Okay, this next one I do not own a copy of. It's a Patreon pick from uh, Jeremy from 22 Shots of Moods and Whore. And he picked High Life. High Life stars Robert Pattinson. And, you know, Robert Pattinson is an actor who I'm not too familiar with. Not because he was in Twilight and I'm not going to watch anything that this guy did because hate him, you know. Twilight's not for me, but I, I just didn't avoid his movies. I just really hadn't seen anything he'd done. He's a fairly younger actor, so, you know, I'm not as familiar with those yet. Uh, so, High Life. This is by the director who did Trouble Every Day, which is kind of a really crazy French movie that I don't have the most love for, but it's definitely a movie that I would rewatch and I could find love for it, if that makes any sense. It's a weird movie. It's not an easy movie to love or like. It's really kind of disturbing in some places and, you know, jarring. But this one, High Life, this is an A24 movie, so you know, you at least expect good quality as far as uh, filmmaking is concerned. And this is a, this is a sci-fi movie. First and foremost, it's a beautiful looking movie. It's well shot. It's well acted. It's just a strange, strange movie. Uh, it's not told in chronological order. We have flashbacks and stuff like that, which kind of helps to a certain extent. But also we get that point where we know exactly what happened to some of these characters because of it. Or or no, we know that they're not in the picture anymore, if that makes sense. So we know their fate. We don't know their how it happened. So you kind of wonder what happened. So we have this Robert Pattinson. He's on this isolated ship by himself, which is kind of a cube type thing floating in space. We get the idea that something possibly crazy happened on Earth. He has this young baby with him and he has to take care of it. He does not seem to be in the best mental state. Um, his clothes are ragged and he's completely alone. Like I said, there's this weird garden area where everything's controlled by the computer where you have to sign in every day before it will give you the air or give you the water to you know to survive in here and do take care of the plants and everything like that so that's what we have going on here um and then we have some flashbacks. We see early points to where he's on Earth and his life, and he's young, and he seems to be like a hobo, kind of a criminal, jumping train here and there. And we get an idea that he has a criminal past. And as we keep going back and back, we see that uh, we, we, we end up on the ship with all the previous people, and we learn that they're all criminals who have, you know, given a second chance that you either rot away in prison or you volunteer for this space mission. And there's this doctor who's trying to perform these, uh, you know, experiments on them to get them more, you know, give be able to give birth and things like that. So she's collecting sperm and impregnating the women and having these babies in incubators. And she has a, a very crazy past as well, which I don't want to spoil, which is why she has this connection with the babies. And of course, she has a criminal past as well. So um, there's a lot going on here. And we basically get to see all these kind of people fall apart. You know, it would be compared to something like obviously like Alien because it's in space and everything like that. Or 2001, it has a very, very beautiful look to it. And it's very uh, obviously inspired by these, you know, great sci-fi movies, grand sci-fi movies. There's this thing called the sex chamber, and when somebody goes in it, it drains kind of like the semen or seminal fluids. I don't know exactly 100% what it's doing, but it definitely pertains to the scientific experiment and, uh, you know, people not performing sex with each other, whatever. So... There's one point when the doctor goes in here, and uh, she's in a bunch of movies if you look her up. And uh, it's shot like a straight horror art film in there. And I was just like, why is this shot like it's the craziest thing? Like, oh, women pleasuring herself is shot like this weird horror movie. And I'm like, I don't understand exactly what's going on here. And uh, it's really kind of a strange scene in general. But, of course, you know, it leads to the point and we see what happens to everybody. And there's some really kind of disturbing stuff on here that um, it's just played straight uh, I mean it goes right through and it's just stuff that would be kind of bothersome um, rape scenes and stuff like that and violence and people dying and stuff like that 
and we learn exactly what happened to everybody. And then we, we go over this timeline and everything. And I don't want to spoil too much, but the ship's kind of job is to make it to like a black hole in some kind of capacity and, and whatnot. And there's some there's some genuinely kind of scary moments in here where they another ship they come across and everything like that. And they're just kind of floating in the space. Very hopeless kind of movie. And it ends in kind of a, a vague way. Uh, that you can determine what happened yourself if you want to, but I'm sure there's hints that suggest other things. It, I, this is one that I would really like to rewatch because it's a beautiful looking movie and it's got a lot going on for it. And it's just one of these movies that, you know, I can't give a genuine real rating on something like this the first time watch because it's like maybe I missed something or maybe there's nothing else there to look for. I don't know. Uh, unique, I think that everybody should check it out for themselves. And this is one that I would like to watch again and discuss with somebody who's watched it a couple times and see where we're going to go with it here because that could open up the doors to a lot of unique cool things that is high life so uh yeah check it out she's mine mm. <laughs> We were scum. Trash. Refuse that didn't fit into the system. Until someone had the bright idea of recycling us to serve science. The odds are not in our favor. But when my work is accomplished, when perfection is achieved, then what? Fly away? I know I look like a witch. You're Foxy and you know it. This mission can't turn our shame into some type of glory. I can't do this flying around no more. You lied to us. You knew it. The sensation, moving backwards. Yeah. Even though we're moving forwards, getting further from what's getting nearer. There is nothing to fear. Everything's gonna be fine. Are you sick? Do you realize nothing is ever gonna go inside us? Break the laws of nature. You'll pay for it. Okay, guys, I decided to do one uh, in honor of Rudger Hauer, and uh, he died recently, R.I.P., and I decided to do the Sam Peckinpah movie, Osterman Weekend, also Bloody Sam's last movie, so yeah. This is based off a book called Alpha and Omega. And uh, first and foremost, I want to thank Extro the Mutilator here because Extro, I picked up the Blu-ray and Extro was like, you don't want that Blu-ray. That Blu-ray looks awful. Go back and get the double disc DVD. It looks way better. So I did that a couple years back or maybe a year back. And yeah, so I guess I, my understanding is the Blu-ray looks complete garbage. So avoid the Blu-ray, my understanding, and check out the double disc DVD from the old Anchor Bay. 
Osman Weekend, Sam Peckinpah's last movie, 1984, and uh, from the commentary and documentary on here, it seemed like Sam Peckinpah was dying while making this. He had an oxygen, he had a lot of trouble, he had a bleeding finger that wouldn't stop, so he had it in a sling. So, uh, like every other Sam Peckinpah movie, we have some troubled production. Um, Sam Peckinpah is pretty much my second favorite director after George Romero, and this is one I hadn't seen. Um, I took some advice. So Elric Kane on a podcast, you know, I don't know the man, but I love his podcast. He said something about saving some of your director's favorite movies um, for, you know, other times and special occasions. So, you know, I saved a couple of Peckinpahs. So, you know, Osterman Weekend. Rugger Howard's the star of this one, and, uh, it's a weird movie, okay? Um, you know, I'm going to get the cast out right off the bat. Uh, we have Rugger Hauer, Craig T. Nelson, Dennis Hopper, uh, Chris Sarandon, um, Helen Schaefer. She's been popping up a lot lately. Uh, was it Cassie Bates? Who else? Meg Foster, uh, Burt Lancaster, John Hurt, and a small little role by Tim Thomerson. Can you beat that cast? That is a wonderful cast, to be honest, and everybody's tremendous in here. Okay, so we have uh, Rugger Howard is this somewhat, uh, you know, I guess he's like a, um, a film interviewer. He has a show called Face to Face where he brings on, you know, generals or politicians or CIA people on his show, and he kind of grills them and, uh, you know, opens up, you know, all this controversy about them that you did this, and that they makes them look stupid on their show, he, on his show, so he kind of destroys these people. And he is pulled into his uh, uh, pulled into by the CIA, and they want to talk to him. And John Hurt kind of comes in, and he's like this weird kind of CIA operative, and he tells him that basically what's happening here is your three closest friends, who you're going to have the Osterman weekend, your yearly weekend with them, uh, your three college buddies are Russian spies, and they're working with the Russians. And this is '84. Rugger Howard loves America. <laughs> So uh, they're talking to him, and he doesn't believe it at first, but then CIA bigwig Burt Lancaster comes in, and he starts talking. Wonderful actor, you know, perfect. 70 years old in this movie, and he looks he looks great, you know, for his age. So he convinces him to spy on his friends, and basically all these cameras are set up in motion, and that plays into Sam Peckinpah's real-life paranoia, how he used to record a lot of people and just his friends and people that worked with him. He put, like, recording in, uh, you know, assistant assistants' underwear drawers and stuff like that. So yeah, that kind of plays into there as well. And I've always got the impression by Sam Peckinpah that I, I, in the commentaries, they, they kind of suggest this as well. And I, I've always felt that way, especially in the Wild Bunch, that the characters portrayed on the screen are somehow all Sam Peckinpah to a certain point in his personality. And I like that. Um, so we have that going on as well. And right away, there's obviously tension between everybody because these three, Craig T. Nelson, Dennis Hopper, and Chris Sarandon, besides having their everyday problems with their wives and everything, we see this dichotomy between them. Dennis Hopper is, you know, he's a doctor who gives his wife drugs, and Helen Schaefer's actually going, it just got clean out of rehab a couple of years ago, so that's also a nice little touch to this movie. And how he basically, he is like meek and everything like that, and she's more kind of controlling and, you know, pushing him. And then we have Chris Sarandon, who seems to be such a, a vile person to his wife and mean. And, and he's great at playing a creep. See, Lipstick. And of course, obviously, everybody loves Fright Night uh, for good reason. But Lipstick, man, true creep. Um, so, yeah, he's great. And then Craig T. Nelson is, you know, like as martial artist kind of guy and, and single. So they all have their own things going on. And they're all brought in and there's immediate into the house and their wives and everything. And there's this tension. And right away... Uh, they're like kind of uh, because they've been getting kind of weird messages around and everything getting strange things and following in messages so they're paranoid they're all paranoid already so they go in there and Rugger Howard 
is in on it now, uh, kind of spying on them, and his job is to turn one of them so they will spill evidence against the Russians and then get some more information, you know. And in turn, Rugger Howard will get an interview with CIA director Burt Lancaster on his show. So that's kind of like what's going on. So they start to think that um, there's an expose that he wants to do on them and expose them, so all this tension comes out, and there's some twists and turns here going on, and I don't want to spoil that, but we get some typical Sam Peckinpah action. We get Meg Foster being awesome with uh, some weapons, a bow and arrow. It's like, yeah, I love Meg Foster. Um, I've loved her since I've been a little kid watching her and like stuff like um, Masters of the Universe. So it was great seeing her in a Peckinpah movie. That was a treat. So yeah, uh, Rugger's great in it. He's really solid in it. Gets to do some action scenes. Uh, uh, good, good, solid lead in here. And I, the action like cuts with the slow motion, everything like that, the, the different takes, you know, where it will just show somebody falling, it will cut back to more action, it will complete the fall. That happens a little bit in here too. Like that, uh, there's a cool pool scene. Uh, it's good. It, it's nice and, you know, violent like we like our Peckinpah movies. Um, the twist in here is, is weird. <laughs> it's super weird. There's a couple weird twists. And one of the scenes in here, the opening, it's shot like, it's like a snuff film. It's really kind of disturbing and weird. And a little bit more sexual than a lot of them. Um, you know, Peckinpah's other movies, like in the vein of something like Straw Dogs, there's some sexual stuff going on. Craig T. Nelson is wonderful in this movie. Love Craig T. Nelson. And they talk about in the documentary how they didn't want to use Craig T. because he wasn't that big star yet. He was right on the cusp gaining momentum. And I'm glad they used him because he's probably... Maybe the most solid part of the entire movie. Dennis Hopper is fun. Like I said, he always is. Um, everybody's good in this movie. Helen Schaefer is actually tremendous as well. You know, she was in uh, Color of Money a couple weeks back. The, um, what is the other one? She's in a couple other movies I watched too. Burn Offering, uh, not Burn Offerings. Um, what is that one? She's The Believers. There we go. Uh, so yeah, a, a bunch of stuff. So yeah, this one is really cool, really unique. Um, I know it's not one of Sam's most beloved movies. I'm calling him Sam like we're best friends or something. Sam Peckinpah's most beloved movies. Uh, but it's still cool, and it's definitely not my least favorite of them at all. I, I enjoyed the hell out of it. I was intrigued in the mystery. It is like a spy mystery and stuff like that. Although the whole the ending is just like, oh, this is super weird and different. John Hurt uh, gets to play a crazy person in a lot of ways and a lot of scenes, and he's good in it, of course. You know, John Hurt. Midnight Express, Alien. So, uh, yeah, great cast. Uh, great, great cast. Really entertaining, cool movie. I would recommend checking it out. On the two-disc, you get a documentary. Uh, interviews a bunch of people, pretty much everybody in the movie, except, you know, Dennis uh, Hopper and Burt Lancaster. And, uh, of course, Sam Peckinpah's not interviewed, but we have interviews with a bunch of the people, like, and they talk about the movie and everything like that, including Rugger. So, yeah, and there's some cool stuff in here. No, nobody had any bad things to say about any of the cast, which is really cool. And uh, Craig T. Nelson said Rugger never complained when they're in that freezing pool all the time. And uh, Craig T. Nelson tells a really cool story where he's in the pool and they're freezing because it's cold as hell and it's at night and they've been in there in hours. And he's like, he's like, you're going to stay in that pool. He's like, why would I do that? That's what Craig T. Nelson says. And he's like, it looked like Sam, you know, he just was not doing well. Looked like, you know, he's sick. And he just kind of dies because I'm going to ask you to. And he's just like, okay, I'll do it. And it's just like, yeah, it's just like cool stuff like that. But uh, R.I.P. Sam Peckinpah, R.I.P. Rugger Hauer. Uh, great movie, great release, nice commentary with Nick Redman on there. Uh, also R.I.P. G's. Uh, so yeah, and and a bunch of other Peckinpah experts talking about the movie. Just a great movie. I really enjoyed it. 
Um, not that many Peck and Paul regulars in here. There is the guy from uh, the Getaway, uh, one of the goons from the Getaway, the weird guy with the mustache. He has a small little role in here, but I didn't spot many other regulars uh, except um, I think Bates was in Convoy, which is one of the only ones I haven't seen. I haven't seen Deadly Companions in Convoy yet, as far as his films are concerned. So yeah, check out the trailer. This is a great movie. It's cool stuff. You are invited for a weekend in the country. A weekend of old friends and good times. Or so it seems. Your host is John Tanner. A man who is facing too many choices. What would you do if a total stranger proved to you that your three closest friends are Soviet agents? And you propose to use John Tanner to affect this? If we can convince him that his friends are spies... Are you, uh, expecting house guests this weekend? Joe and Betty Cardone, Richard and Virginia Tremaine, Bernard Osterman? Are these people represent a grave threat to the security of the United States of America? What is it you want me to do? Just behave normally. You don't have to do anything. Would you cooperate with the authorities? Where are you putting all these cameras? Somebody's on those, huh? I won't betray my friends. They know about Omega. You don't have any friends, Tanner. And that's government, isn't it? You're on intimate terms with three Russian agents. John Tanner's a friend of ours, right? So let's go to our friend John Tanner's house and set him up. I know that something's wrong. You tell me what I'm mixed up in. It's getting tricky now, isn't it? Would you help your friends? and risk betraying your country. Comfort yourself with the thought that you never did have a choice. We're in prime killing time. And when you finally knew the truth, would you know too much? We're all gonna die. Betty, get out! Rutger Hauer. John Hurt. Craig T. Nelson. Dennis Hopper. Meg Foster and Burt Lancaster the one weekend of the year you won't want to miss the Osterman weekend Okay, guys, you know what time it is. The Weekly Western. Let's go. Why not? Fill your hand, you son of a bitch! Say when.
feel I'm knocking upon heaven's door. Knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. Hey, Kitty, you bastard! It's you and I! <laughs> All right, the weekly western this week is kind of a special one because I wrote a written review as well. This is Django the Bastard uh, by Sergio Caroni or Garoni. Yeah, it's got to be Garoni. It's not Garone. It's got to be Garoni. Maybe it's Garone. Not sure. I'm terrible with pronunciation and names. But I did write a written review over at the Screaming Toilet page if you're interested in checking it out. Okay, uh, this director did a couple Nazi exploitation movies, but he did like three or four spaghetti westerns, which he's more known for. This one stars Anthony Steffen, who's in a bunch of stuff. Um, you know, he's one of these Italian actors that never really stood out to me. I've seen him in a lot of movies, and you're looking at him like, it's just he doesn't stick out to me here. Uh, he plays Django, or, you know, <laughs> one of the many unauthorized sequels to Django. And he's playing Django. He's out for revenge. And like many revenge stories, he's the mysterious gunslinger that is in black and he prefers to use his gun over his mouth. And that's kind of what's going on here. He enters this small town and he has a great gimmick here. He is carrying a cross that has somebody's name chiseled in with today's date on it. So that right there is like, okay, this starts off badass. It starts off really unique and cool in a way. And it kind of reminds me of High Plains Drifter because he comes in and he has like the supernatural presence. He's dark and he's pretty much indestructible. And he's always kind of like a specter. He's always in the shadows or always in, hidden in plain sight among the bad guys before he kills a bunch of them. So he starts to kill a couple of these people and he obviously has a vendetta and a past, which is late. Later, uh, put out and we see what happened to him and why he wants to get revenge on these people. The last person on his list is this big time. I think he's like a corrupt businessman and, uh, you know, he has, you know, a bunch of henchmen and posse with him that are hired guns to take out Django. So, but his brother is played by Luciano Rossi, who's made a career out of playing on stable kind of crazy people. And uh, rumor was, I always see these documentary, I think George Eastman's the one who said it. He's like, unfortunately, he ended up in a mental institution later in his life. And that's really sad. I think he was the actor who did end up in the mental institution. Or was that um, the other guy from Hell of the Living Dead? I can't remember. But it's definitely one of these guys. But Luciano Rossi um, played in a bunch of movies. He pops up in City of the Living Dead, and he's in what the uh, Death Walks at High Heels or Death Walks at Midnight. I always confuse those two movies. But he's even in the uh, Emmanuel and Francois uh, movie with uh, George Eastman, and he he's kind of like a plays that, that that wild crazy. He's always he's always unstable, and he's really good in this one. He steals the show. He actually steals it from the main villain, and he's not even the main villain. He's the main villain's brother, and he actually gets the best of Django in a couple scenes here. So. He's the highlight of the movie for me because he's playing an over-the-top crazy guy and he's really good at it, so that's fun. The lead, I don't care for. Like I said, he's just an actor who's in a bunch of stuff, and I never really, I, I just, he could be there or not, and I don't care. He feels like he has these, like, soulless eyes, and people are like, that's great in a killer like that, but it just seems like he's just kind of bored or dull or just like... Not there. It's just like I, uh, I just don't. His performance. It's, it's, it's. It, those are big shoes to fill if you're gonna be, you know, Franco Nero and. Uh 
he's coming in with like a size six on a size ten or something like that. I had a stupid analogy, but you guys are uh, whatever. It just doesn't. It, he doesn't hold the weight that a character like that should. Like uh, you know, uh, what is it, a uh, Garko or um, what is it, Gemma or somebody like that, that or Lee Van Cleef that could lead these spaghetti westerns. I don't think that he's the guy to be honest. So besides that, um, uh, there's not really many problems with the movie. I, I the score is okay. It didn't stand out to me. Uh, it, it wasn't one of the like the best, like it's not like, you know, good, bad and ugly or something. And once about a time in the West, but it was solid. They always are. They're never horrible. I've never listened to or seen an Italian movie in general, but like that score sucks unless it's modern, you know, never, ever, ever would I say that or think that I don't think, but, uh, there's a commentary with film historian, Troy Howorth or Haworth. He's always great. He goes into the actors in the movie, uh, the director of the movie, everything you could want, movies that are similar to it. And, and, and he gets, you know, a lot of times people would say he goes on like the IMDb and does it, but he does a little bit more here and he starts to kind of, he does more analyzing in this one. And I, I enjoyed that. I think he's really good. Always enjoy it. Always like a history lesson. The disc, um, you know, it looks good. It sounds good. No complaints from Synapse. They don't put out crummy work and this is no different. Uh, entertaining spaghetti Western mid-tier above you know like somewhere in the middle it's it's good it's fun you'll enter it's a solid spaghetti western that fans of the genre will be satisfied with and it's a nice release Sie bekreuzigen sich vor ihm. Sie hassen ihn. Sie zittern vor ihm in höchster Todesnot. Vor ihm, dem gnadenlosen Rächer. Allein gegen die zynischsten Aasgeier des Mittelwestens, allein gegen die Bande der brutalsten Killer schießt und schlägt sich Django den Weg frei, den Weg zur Gerechtigkeit. Was willst du machen? Ich bin eben meine Frau. Guten Tag. Seit wann trinken Mörder Champagner? So geht es allen Schweinen. Und wie wird es Django ergehen? Allein gegen die Bande der Bluthunde. Allein gegen eine Herde blutrünstiger Pistoleros. Du bist längst tot! Verschwinde! Heilige Mutter Gottes, nein, 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 nicht Django! Jeder Schritt seines Lebens ist ein Schuss. Jeder Schuss seines Lebens bedeutet eine Leiche.
das ist der heißeste Django, den es je gab. Mit dem kältesten Django, den es je geben wird. When you have to shoot, shoot, don't talk. Hey guys, what's up? Uh, I just wanted to take the time really quick. We just got out of seeing a once up out of time in Hollywood not 15 minutes ago, and I just wanted to take the time to talk about it a little bit. This is going to be a pretty much a spoiler-free review, and we're just going to talk about it. It's going to be a couple minutes. So um, I loved it, yeah. but I am a Tarantino fanboy, I guess they'd say. I don't under- understand the hate. I don't get it. I mean, people that come out and say, he's a terrible filmmaker, it's just like, Some things aren't for you, and you need to learn one day in your life that some things, you know what I mean? Like, it's so weird. I understand sometimes I watch something that I don't like, but it's just not mm-hmm. bad. It's just not for me. And, like, I can't, like, the way that things happen in this movie, the way it's shot, the acting, and everything like that, it's just like, no one could get that great of a performance out of somebody if they were a poor director or a poor filmmaker. I think he's probably my favorite filmmaker making movies right now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, like, not everything's catered to me. Lord knows not everything's catered to me because I have terrible taste. But, like, I can I can appreciate a movie despite not liking it. Although that's not well, my review here because well, I like this movie. Well, the thing is, the funny thing is, you say despite terrible taste, but a lot of the stuff that Tarantino enjoys were considered B-movies or right. foreign imports were considered terrible taste back in the day. And mm. it's funny that people are sitting there disliking this stuff because he loves the same movies you have and he's putting these movies into the like zeitgeist, I guess you'd say, that never would have made it before. I love seeing that. I mm-hmm. love it. Um, once about a ho- time, time in Hollywood, I'm not even going to give you the plot. I went in pretty much blind. I don't watch trailers anymore. So um, this thing is completely unique. It has an amazing cast. I think that it, he pretty much assembled the two um, biggest movie stars that he could. The only, I mean, unless they're old timers. There's a bunch mm-hmm. of old timers in here and a bunch of old timers still acting that are movie stars. But Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio are like the only movie stars that I can think of that I am like, oh, that's a movie star. Like you would see them somewhere in public and you would just have, they'd have an entourage and they would just be larger than life characters. God bless Leonardo DiCaprio. I think he is yeah. the. <laughs> The greatest actor right now, I'm going to be mm-hmm. honest. He's not even my favorite, like, or anything. He's not my personal favorite, but it's just, like, he's the best. Like, I can't argue that. He's the best. He's so good in this movie. So wonderful. Uh, Brad Pitt's also tons of fun. Uh, Margaret Robbie, I'm not really familiar with her. She's a newer actress. She's mm-hmm. tremendous in this movie. I don't even want to tell you who, 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 who she plays, because. but this is a movie about kind of three storylines that are all going to meet up, and it's based on actual events in old Hollywood, but it's a fictional take on a historical point in in Hollywood and in real life. So it's these three storylines and you know the some of the people involved with it so you know where you think it's going. So it builds this this suspense and these things that these preconceived notions so you're just waiting for these things to happen and you fall in love with the characters. I've never seen I know I'm talking over you and talking forever but I just want to get it out right now. I've never seen a movie love actors so much in my entire life. The the love and care and sympathy that it seems that this film has for actors actually teared made me tear up when There's something where people, actors and actresses, they love, or just actors in general, they love seeing uh, a crowd react. And you hear those stories where, like, well, a director or an actor, I snuck in the back to see the performance, you know, and see how the crowd acted. And that happens in this movie. And I was seriously like, oh, my God, that's such a brilliant performance. And it's just like, it made me, like, literally, um, like, uh, fall in love with the character in the movie. 
And there's a point when a character is like a slipping, an actor slipping, their career slipping, and that's all I'm going to say. And like they're finding their momentum, and like somebody says something, and it's super touching, and it's just like, oh my god, that's brilliant. That's just like it, it actually physically. Maybe I'm getting sentimental, but it was just like it was there, and I could see the the sincerity in the movie, and I was just like, that is some genuine love for the source material, and you know, I don't care. It's just like he really loves what he's doing, and it's just perfect. I just I love the movie, and the first like twenty or twenty or thirty minutes is like I don't. I don't know if I'm, like, jiving with this world 100%. And after that, I was 100% in. I mean, and uh, just a great cast, and it's just super well made. Tons of needle drops, but it takes place Mm -hmm. in 1969. So, you know, Tarantino has a great taste in music, or at least he knows which needle drops to pick. I just, I don't know what else to say. I don't want to spoil anything, um, but it's just wonderful. Do you have anything to say? Um, the movie like looks fantastic. The 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 how the light reflects off characters. The I don't know if it was shot on film or what he used, but or it, it could be done digitally too. But like the color palette in the movie is just it's poppy and, and like it's almost rose tinted nostalgia. No oh, big love letter. Yeah, it's a huge love letter. Um, like the movie just looked phenomenal, and, and uh, you know I love the late sixties, early seventies. Great time, and and you know I, I don't want to get too much into the movie, but like knowing how like what Hollywood was going through in that time period, how they talk about like the foreign movies, the Italian movies. Well, they do this, and it is a brilliant thing. There's fake movies in the background, and mm-hmm. there's real movies mixed in with them, and how real the fake movies look the poster details and everything like that um tarantino actually goes into this a little bit in the pure cinema podcast he doesn't spoil the movie but he talks to uh, elric kane and brian sauer on the pure cinema podcast great podcast love it's one of my favorites and he goes into detail about it a little bit about the posters and everything and just hearing him talk about it was really great because he programs a new beverly he runs a new beverly he programs all the movies so he'll program all these a lot of the movies that we would see in the poster that are just his style of movies and just seeing like real posters mixed with a fake posters and the the possibility and it's a funny thing because you see the fake movies right there and this whole thing is like hollywood possibilities you know i don't want to say anything more than that but Mm -hmm. um and and just a small little cast a small people like everything like timothy oplant oplant i always say his name wrong emil hirsch just tiny Mm -hmm. roles like that but then it's got you know some classic juggernauts in there that is always great to see like bruce dern al pacino and kurt russell who's you know uh the best i love kurt russell you know kurt russell could do no wrong so yeah but um but like like what I was saying, like like knowing like what Hollywood is going through at that time, and just like like introducing like the whole like European aspect, like I I don't know, just and just the other day I was telling you about that, yeah. Like I was like, yeah, well, you know, those actors they go overseas and everything like that, and mm-hmm. they make a few pictures, and you're like, oh, I was like, so that's why you see guys like Lee Van Cleef who were supporting in, like, a bunch of small movies, and they've ended up big in Italy and stuff. Right. Like, and Clint Eastwood got a start in Italy and stuff like that. And yeah. it's just... Right, and I, and I think knowing that, I think you have a certain appreciation for this well, film. Well, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, the trajectory of Clint Eastwood's career was yeah. American television to Italian westerns, back to America, direct, a big star, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, that's the great Hollywood story in Clint Eastwood. Right. And this is one of the lesser Hollywood, Hollywood, uh, Hollywood stories, but it's also a perfect one, and you the small little details and everything in there. Yeah, it's just a slice of life, and it's just... Oh, it was a very touching movie, and, and like I said, I like seeing like the props, the you know, like, like the baggage at the... and they set everything up perfectly. Yeah, everything is so set. There's up. so it's... many set up yeah. payoffs and uh, just wonderful things like that. 
Um, mm-hmm. uh, there's a, I'm trying to think of some of the other things that I just absolutely loved in here. Um, there's a couple gags. I don't even want to say the gags, but a couple of them uh, reoccurring gags. I laughed out loud every time they did it. It's just because it's so blatant, but also not completely obvious either if you're not really paying attention. Mm-hmm. But uh, just great, all-around wonderful movie. And like I said, if you're not jiving with it the first 20 minutes, like, I didn't hate it. I was just like, I don't I don't know what, because I go in blind. Right. But then after a while, I was like, oh, I'm so into this movie. I'm, And by the end, I was like, yes, yes, yes. I, I If anybody doesn't know me, I love actors and, like, acting and characters and just mm-hmm. stuff like that. Like, I like a lot of the other stuff, too, but, like, one of my favorite Tarantino movies is Reservoir Dogs. And it's just, like, eight actors in a whole movie, and most of the time it's in a warehouse and they're talking. Like, I like that. So Day of the Dead's my favorite movie, as, and I know it's not the caliber of acting Day of the Dead's nowhere near <laughs> as Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but it's just, like, 12 people in a, in a arguing. Right. I think Day of the Dead is one of the greatest movies it's ever It's my made. favorite. But yeah. Um, I am not naive enough to think that... The act, it's different acting, it you is. know, it's different acting, it but I'm not going to be like, you know, uh, you know, the acting in Day, Day of the Dead is caliber of Robert De Niro and, no, uh, no, and Taxi no, Driver or something, no. you know, but still, like, I understand the different styles of acting and stuff like right. that. I th- I'm not like an acting expert or anything like that, but I, I, you know, there's a difference. You can appreciate what it is. I, I, I think the acting is perfect in Day of the Dead. I think it's perfect, but, yeah. But not talking about Day but this one, yeah. it's just like, this is a, this is like a big star. This is like... Probably two of the best performances, three of the best performances. I, I really yeah. think Leo should win an Oscar for this movie. <laughs> I thought he should have won it in uh, Django uh, Chain too, but mm-hmm. um, they gave it to him for The Revenant, which I always thought was weird because, like, yeah, he's good in The Revenant, but Tom Hardy steals the show in The Revenant, and I think that Leo steals the show in Django, and he steals the show in this, and yeah, well, Margaret I, I Robbie did... should get an like, Oscar too, or Academy Award, whatever that hell who gives right. it. Right, I didn't, I didn't see The Revenant. Um... But no, like like seeing Leo in a, like Django, um, so good. Is, is brilliant. Is this this is the second Tarantino? Yes, I believe so. And he this was uh, Brad Pitt's second, or was he in the? I think he was in uh, Inglorious in this. I thought he was in another one. Brad Pitt. Let me think. Like um, an early one. He was in a written one. He was in, he was in a written one. True I mean, romance. a couple of those guys have been in some written yeah. ones as well, but no. So would you say? So what's your favorite Tarantino then? I can't. Like, I'm going to be brutally honest. People always rank them, and I see them ranked. Mm-hmm. I can't rank them because they're so different to me, and I love them all. And some of the newer ones I've only got to watch a couple times because right. they're, like, epics. They are I wrong. love them. I adore mm-hmm. them. Reservoir Dogs is the one I've seen the most, so I always come back to that one. But I don't know if it's the best. I don't... Like, when people say favorite and best, I don't see that. There's just certain things that I would look for in the movie. And sometimes people need to realize if you've seen a movie 30, 40 times, you pick up on a lot of small things that other people wouldn't. So, like, if they come in arguing that movie sucked, it's like, but did you notice this, 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 and the detail here? Mm -hmm. And you might not be picking up on those things if you've only seen the movie a couple times. So, on the the other hand, I've seen Reservoir Dogs 25 times. And I also want to address something. I saw this article... That said, it's time to ditch Tarantino's exploitation. Hollywood doesn't need it. Well, if we start doing that where Hollywood controls everything and everything's got to be PC for Hollywood, then I don't need Hollywood anymore, to be honest. Because I really don't... Movies are supposed to be dangerous. They're supposed mm-hmm. to sometimes offend you, upset you, make you laugh. Change. They're not for everybody. Every movie's not for everybody. Right. I mean, if we start to limit what offends people in film... It, film is an art. 
It can be transgressive. It can be progressive. It can be popcorn. It can be anything that it's supposed to be. And I never see actual hatred in Tarantino's movies. If mm-hmm. there is somebody, there's violence to women or violence to... He's violent to everybody. And it's funny that people will sit there and judge Tarantino because he's modern and has, modern and has success. But they would bring up questions about Dario Argento, who made set pieces and fucking 20-minute scenes about women being brutally murdered in the most beautiful art fashion way, and he'll admit it. He said, it's beautiful to look at, you know, but horrible at the same time. It's an art piece in the murder. It's art in the murder and stuff like that. And, you know, Tarantino does that kind of stuff as well. It's a movie, and it's not meant to actively go out and, you know, sit there and demand that people go out and are terrible to people. Right, yeah, and, you know, I, I don't... You know, you can watch whatever movie you want to watch. You know, if you don't like Tarantino, don't go watch Tarantino. If you actively think the movie is a racist or misogynistic, don't watch it. Don't watch it, yeah. It's the same thing with... I don't understand how, as a culture, we never learn from these things, is that the fact that people were upset, they laugh, they sit there and scuff at people banning the video nasties, and then now there's still people talking about that it's time to get rid of Tarantino. Why are you people never learning from your mistakes? What is wrong with you? I, and I think it's just a small minority in doing this. I really do think it's a tiny minority of people who just want to be outspoken about it to get attention. I don't even think they feel that. I think all these articles that are written like this and these think pieces are clickbait things to get this pot stirred. Just like mm-hmm. any news channel now does this on the WTL. All they do is they say uh, say something that's just going to upset everybody on purpose and get all these arguments because they get clicks on there because people don't realize that they're baiting them. And they're doing this with these articles as well, which is ridiculous. I mean, just enjoy what you enjoy and there's so many people out there that write these articles that don't love movies they don't love film you know i haven't seen everything i'm not an expert i would never call myself an expert i am i watch a lot of movies and i love them and i enjoy them to death but the thing is these people don't like film they only look at film as into how it how they can spin it and talk about it and Mm -hmm. and that stuff is interesting don't get me wrong but the point is they don't have a a deep genuine love for it i don't think i really don't i really don't think that's they're just people that want the 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 clickbaits and stuff like that they don't have a love for you know the subject matter or the films or anything like that well you know it's it's like when you walk into an art museum you're not going to love every piece hanging on the wall you know like i don't go to the modern arts section because i don't really quite get it you know but like it exists enjoy it like why are you upset? A movie with misogyny or racism doesn't make the filmmaker misogynistic. No. Or or um, a racist or somebody that portrays rape in a movie. Now, I can understand some people being upset by certain things portrayed a certain way. Like right. comedic rape scenes, I can understand there's a problem in that way. You know what I mean? And mm. I, But I wouldn't ban the movie. I could just say that this is inappropriate for the time right. even. But still, I mean, I don't get offended by films like that. It's just not something I do. I mean, I... I, even when something is so ridiculous, the, my impulse is to be like, oh my god, and kind of mm-hmm. chuckle because I can't believe they got away with that. Like Revenge of the Nerds, I, like, oh, when yes, I yeah. saw that, I was like, whoa. Well, I grew up on but Revenge that, of the Nerds, right. and I didn't know any better because I was a 12-year-old kid. But when I watched Revenge of the Nerds, I didn't think, you know what, I'm going to do what they did. That's how I get girls. Right. No, those people are sick. Mm-hmm. Hopefully people know the difference, and if they right. don't... They shouldn't be in society. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you were watching it and you're like, and this was what? Ten, probably 10 years ago. 10 years I'm like, ago. Yeah, I'm watching it. I was like, I love this movie. We put it in and we're watching it. And you're like, it's that, it's that fun house. The fun house scene. You're like, you yeah. just right? I was like, oh. I was like, what? what? <laughs> I was like, 
oh wow i was like oh man but you know my that sensibility as, well. as as you being 12 seeing it for the yeah. first time and me being what like a little 24 blinded. or something i'm like so this is oh. barely a, a once about a time in hollywood review more yeah, of just a part. rant but no i think it's it's good to talk about that kind of stuff mm-hmm. like um i just wish people that love cinema like i listen to this podcast daughters of darkness with uh cat ellinger and sam deegan and they love cinema, and they approach transgressive cinema. It has a lot, a lot of stuff that is very controversial in it, mm-hmm. and the way they talk about it and the way they dissect it and just embrace it, it's just so refreshing to me, and I'm just like, I, they're so smart, and they just get it, and it's like, they love it. Like, yes, it's, and like people are like, it's problematic. Everything's It's problem. not problematic. And at the end of the day, as all those Grindhouse movies put, mm-hmm. I think it was originally I Drink Your Blood, but then made more famous by Last House on the Left. It's only a movie. Right. It's only a movie. Right? And, you know, and like, just, just looking at the wider scope of things, we know so much about our, you know, our the history of mankind from, from the art that was created at the time. And, and if we get rid of certain aspects of, if we hide or don't make or don't tell these stories... We're we're missing. We're censoring ourselves. I mean, how many stories have been lost to time due to like censorship? You know, like oh, if or a lot of well, a lot of more things have been uh, lost because of war. Oh yeah, yeah <laughs> Japan yeah. lost but, all their movies in World War Two. Like you know, almost like, all of them. Like I don't want to say it's a reflection of our culture, but but it really is. You know, and I'm not saying that our culture when when these things pop up in movies, you know, that they're well, misogynist well, well, or whatever. It, it's. Which I don't think that... Um, it's a time capsule. Yeah. Good, bad, mm-hmm. or indifferent. It's, you know? it's a human experience. That's, and when, when don't, pe- don't censor it, guys. When people watch Westerns, mm-hmm. and they're like, I don't like... It's just like... In the West, they were much worse than that. Right. I mean, I, I, it's, I mean, and stuff like that, like, that's just the terms they use. There are no right. bad people and people from the past don't talk like they do, they don't you know? T- you got to take things in context. You do have to take things in context. And I, I think Simpsons put it... Brilliantly, there's a scene. I don't remember the episode, but Seymour Skinner's he, he's in the school, and I think about these summer times. Like, oh, I'm just crossing out all the swear words in Huckleberry Finn. I mean, yeah, let that's what we, it would have to come to, you know. I mean, just, I, I don't. I think we live in a society where you can give people warnings. Like now, this stuff is very you know heavy for kids. Right. That's fine, and it, it, some of this could be offensive to you. So prepare mm-hmm. yourself, or you know what I mean. And if it's, you know, but at the right. same time, like, I just kind of find it really strange that people that love cinema or love film or love art get scared away by it so easily. And it's right. just like, I've always been kind of like Frank from Hellraiser in a way, unfortunately. I don't want to say I'm Frank. I'm not like this sexual sadist where like, I need more pleasures. <laughs> but I'm just saying like, you, I seek it out. Like. I want to feel these feelings. And I think that any movie that can give you an emotion like that, the connectability to it, mm-hmm. or, you know, <laughs> a distancing from it, is powerful. And anything that is powerful or has power, I mean, it does its job right. Right. Like, Men Behind the Sun is not a, a fun movie to watch. It's right. not something, and, it, and I don't even know if I consider that first one exploitation. I mean, it's brutal and it's mean, but it's showing something brutal and mean that happened. You know, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But then, you know, I'm all for like, you know, it's just so weird the stuff that we we went through this already. We've already been through this. We'll go through it a hundred more times. We just I mean. never learn, and that's the yeah. funny thing is like people who forget history are doomed to repeat it. 
We're just doomed to repeat it forever. Yeah, we're just, yeah. Unfortunately. Remember it or forget it. We're, we're just going to keep repeating it. And I just, and there's another thing, too. They were, like, saying, well, Tarantino, you know, he he was friends with Weinstein. And I'm going to say this right now. Yeah, Weinstein's a piece of garbage. What, what he did was unacceptable. Nobody should have let it go on. But at the same time, how many places do you work at that you know are just committing horrible crimes how many places are you buying shoes from that just you know have child's like it's the point is we're not perfect mm-hmm. nobody's perfect we all make mistakes we're not perfect and that's the same thing with one person in society does one bad thing and all of a sudden they're an animal and a monster just because they did something stupid i'm going to use this frank stallone thing okay agree with him don't agree with him i don't care frank stallone said something really stupid on twitter one day he said i want to punch the kid in the face who is the anti-gun kid who who survived the attacks and he was in multiple like news programs he said i want to punch that kid in the face everybody jumped down frank stallone's throat like he wanted to die i don't know his complete history but everything i've seen about frank stallone is he's a genuinely nice guy i've seen him in interviews he's very jovial and friendly and they jumped down this guy's throat but then i see the same people saying they have sympathy for eileen warnos and jeffrey dahmer serial killers child rapist but mm-hmm. frank stallone basically your dad said something dumb on twitter and you guys want to put him on a put him on a cross and set him on fire I don't know who Frank Stallone is. He's Sylvester Stallone's brother. He's in, that, he's in Savage Harbor, Tombstone. He's just an actor. <laughs> and he did some music. I think he actually did the music in Rocky. Or helped him. <laughs> he, he did some stuff in Rocky. I don't know if he helped him with the music or what. Now, regardless, we're on a tangent. Right, we're on but a I'm tangent. just saying that yeah. nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. Nothing's perfect. Nothing's white and black. Everything's gray. Just, just love movies or don't watch them. And then that's what this movie is. This, this movie is a love letter to movies and to the time period. But you didn't answer the question about what's your favorite Tarantino. I don't have one. I love them. Well, which one do you like the most? Probably Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir Just because Dogs. I've seen it a million times. Oh. It's embedded in my brain. I like Pan's Labyrinth. That's not a, a Tarantino movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like I like I like them. <laughs> Yeah, I had a French Sylvester. I like straw dogs. Oh, straw dogs! Yeah, why did get me like, started that's on Sam straw dogs? Paul. You would have had a dog in the title. We'll Stop. go on. A, okay, you just don't like straw dogs. Yeah. Um, Sam Peckinpah is a hero. Jackie Brown and Kill Bill. And, and Jackie Brown's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, but you know what? That's his most underrated. Jackie the thing Brown? is, yeah. when you think back on directors, like you think back of a lot of the best pictures, nobody talks about like. Ordinary people compared to some of the more controversial titles. No one will ever forget A Clockwork Orange. No. And it's still beloved today. Mm-hmm. Tarantino in 50 years will be beloved in that right. day. And a lot of the movies that came out in one best picture won't be. Nobody will talk about them. Mm-hmm. Nobody will care. All the movies that played that line and played to the audience perfectly, they're going to be forgotten in history. Unfortunately, even if they don't deserve it, because I love watching movies that were just, you know, you know, company movies that came out back in the day. I, I don't think they deserve to be forgotten, anything. Right. But I'm telling you, the controversial guys, the guys who evoke emotions in you, won't be forgotten, for good or bad or indifference. Although, didn't Shape of Water win? Yeah. Best picture. Sometimes, one sometimes that, great they, movies they, they win. They did right on that Some, one. Sometimes they're right all the time. I don't know. I'm just yeah. saying that it, just because a movie was, um, didn't, uh, movies that create waves are remembered. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. 
unless they are shelved. <laughs> like, unfortunately, we sometimes get the devils need some love. I know everybody's oh, yeah. seen the devils in the film community, but devils, I would love to see get some mainstream love. You know, I want to see that again. That's a beautiful, it's a great movie. movie. But um, that's all I really have to say about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and film love in general and clickbait articles and. Uh, People just thinking they're perfect and hating everyone and loving watching people suffer and everything like that. It's and just, Frank Stallone. Just be decent. Yeah. It's not that hard to be decent, you know? I mean, and and don't crucify people for next to nothing. We all say stupid things. We all do stupid things. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. And if you are perfect, I apologize. Because <laughs> I, I was about to say. <laughs> I was about to say. Um, not very religious, but... A great line is, let the one without sin cast the first stone. Yeah. It's a beautiful line. And it works perfect. But that is my religious rant. About, <laughs> about uh, this is more just a rant about just, uh, you know, everything. And I don't like to rant. I don't like to be negative. But I don't think there's negativity in that. I think it's just my negativity comes out from my love of this movie and, and films in general. And just how, you know, mm-hmm. you can hate any movie you want. You know what I mean? You know. Yeah. It's you know, they're all opinions. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I say, but honestly. Uh, are you good? Yeah, I'm good. Okay. Yeah. We're still friends? Yeah, we're still friends. Okay. I'm Rick Dalton. It's my pleasure, Mr. Schwartz. Call me Marvin. Put it there. That's your son? No, it's my stunt double, Cliff Booth. Last night, we watched a Rick Dalton double feature. <laughs> oh, the shooting... I love that stuff, you know, with the killing. A lot of killing. Anybody order fried sauerkraut? Fried, you Nazi bastards! No, I'm a stunt man. Look at me. So you still direct, huh? Still here. You can do anything you want to him. I hired you to be an actor, Rick. Not a TV cowboy. You're better than that. Line. Cut! Embarrass yourself like that in front of all those goddamn people. All right, what's the matter, partner? It's official, old buddy. Well, it has been. On August night and the leaves hanging down and the grass on the ground. Here I am, flat on my ass. Who, who I got living next door to me? I'm Sharon Tate. I'm in the movie. You're in this? That's me. I play Miss Carlson, the klutz. He's In this town, I can all change like that. You're Rick fucking Dalton. Don't you forget it.
Hammer time. For all who are willing to pay the price, we invite you to go through the mirror of life. Hey guys, what's up? It is Hammer Time. Week 11, is it? Week 12? I don't know. Okay. This one we're going to do is uh, Kiss of the Vampire, directed by Don Sharp, produced by Anthony Hines, written by Anthony Hines as well. And uh, this stars uh, the guy from Phantom of the Opera, the producer, yeah. the hero of that one, and the father figure in Curse of the Werewolf as a Van Helsing type. Kiss of the Vampire was, you know, in the 60s, it was the first Hammer horror Vampire movie that didn't involve the Dracula saga. I know Dracula wasn't in Brides of Vampires or Brides of Dracula, but it was still in that saga. Right. So this one, it's pretty typical Hammer style. Uh, we have a English couple traveling a country, uh, traveling in Eastern Europe, I believe, somewhere around there. Somewhere, Bavaria, yeah. I think it says mm-hmm. in the book because I had to spice up on there. I think they're, they're traveling around Eastern Europe, and uh, their car breaks down. This strange person is watching them. This is a kind of a desolate town, you know. It's one of the classic. Uh, hammer or universal villages that's been ravaged by evil. So you know that some sort of evil had come through and wiped them out. You know exactly. It's a, it's a yeah. setup. So this newly married couple, they get invited to this weird guy's this place. He has a bunch of weirdos hanging around. Of course, you guys know immediately he's a vampire. So this whole town has been obviously devastated by this vampire curse. The opening of this movie is actually probably the best part. I'd say, yeah. You want to talk about the opening a little bit? Yeah, um... Does it open with the vehicle? Traveling? No. Or the opening, it's a funeral. Oh, yeah. And, and that sets the precedent for yeah. something really great, and it never lives up to that again, yeah, unfortunately. I mean, yeah, this is a really pretty, really atmospheric film. The but, Universal um, Blu-ray looks good. I don't know if the aspect ratio is proper. Yeah, but they, they um, so, so you know, it's like a, during a funeral, they're carrying the casket and the whole Latin services, and, like, there's just, like, old guy and he's like up there just like peeping around and like it cuts back to the people at the funeral and someone is like oh he's drunk again and it's uh the father from curse of the werewolf yes. is the best one of the best parts of that one yeah and so you know like like he comes down and like you know like everybody's like oh, okay well we'll finish for rights and like the priest hands the guy like the little ash urn thing for him to like say his goodbyes like clearly this drunk just lost somebody dear to him but because he's a drunk he yeah, didn't show yeah. up and then, like, out of nowhere... But that's not exactly what was happening. Right, right. He had something else going on. Yeah, out of nowhere, he, he grabs... A spade. The, the, yeah, the spade. And you think, okay, well, he's going to throw the first dirt, you know, because that's what you... He just... He throws it. Yeah. He, I think he whips it to the coffin and, and blood like spurts blood out. Because, I mean, a dead body wouldn't have that blood flow. Right. And, you realize, and it, it goes through the coffin, and it shows the vampire teeth. And right. it was like, And then it does the title, and I was like, this is going to be amazing. Right. After that, it slows down. It becomes kind of typical, you know. Mm-hmm. But 
there are some differences in here, and this is the first time I've seen Hammer kind of do the cult or the occult kind of subject. Yeah. And I know they, they visit that later. So this is the first kind of occult. They changed the vampire mythology quite a bit here. Mm-hmm. Um, the vampire Ravna, he likes to collect um, his specimens, you know, make his own family and everything like that. And he starts to obviously have his eyes on you know, the newlywed female and induct her into his cult. But mm-hmm. I was kind of surprised at how, how, how you know, kind of wussified the cult is. Yeah. They're really wimpy. And, and, <laughs> and also in a Hammer movie and probably the Universal, I can't remember, how easy it is to make a cross. And it has oh, one of yeah. the hel- most hilarious crosses I've ever seen made in a movie. Somebody gets their chest cut, yeah. and they're like, Ugh! and they just split the blood into a cross, <laughs> and that, that, that counts. Instead of just doing this, I remember mm-hmm. they, they used to do the old movies, like, yeah, like, like you beast. Or, right. was it, or was it just Ronnie McDowell and Fright Night making fun of the old movies? It probably and was. It probably yeah. did happen, too. But and, and it just does the crossover, and I was like, <laughs> I literally, did I do I was like, like, come on. That's what we're doing now? But it was it's fine. It's not as good mm. as The Brides of Dracula where they use the shadow and the cross. That was beautiful. That was, Wasn't that the... Uh, the windmill. Yeah, that yeah. was beautiful. That, that was, was genius. Yeah. This is cheesy. But yeah. it's not horrible. But like I said, there's a point in here where they have this nice little drama between the innkeepers and the innkeepers had lost a family member to mm-hmm. the cult and everything like that. And it has the weirdest ending I've ever seen in any of the Hammer movies. And it, it completely breaks the mythology. And it's like... Have anybody seen Ghoulies too? I guess it's similar to that. I guess, yeah, it is. They it summon is. the they, big ghoulie. Yeah, they summon evil yeah. to take out evil, and that's kind of the point. And I'm just like, I've never seen that in a vampire movie. Not mm-hmm. bad, not good, but um, they really are missing Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing in this movie. They are the guy who plays the um, father figure, the Van Helsing type guy, mm-hmm. is really good. Yeah, and he was good in Curse of the Werewolf. He's too. very good. Yeah, he's yeah. got a strong screen presence, and he demands that you know he's a powerful old man. Mm-hmm. But there's some cheesy things in here. Um, the ending is funny because of the way it ends, and I just can't really get behind the lead vampire. He's just kind of really corn. He's weak. He's just not a strong villain to me. Was he anyone in particular? I know he pops up in the reptile later. Oh, okay, on. I mean he's not a horrible actor. It's just no, his yeah, it's just not very strong. Yeah, the the character itself, like. You know, it, it starts off very, like, like when, once you get things going, it's like, you know, we go to the end, everybody at the end is secreted, like, oh, come to our fancy castle for a mystical gown or ball, and it's like, oh, man, this happens in all these, doesn't it? <laughs> they, they, this one felt repetitive, but at the same time, it felt yeah. like they added some differences in here. Right. Because, like, the whole cult, they have, like, ceremonies and everything. Yeah, the ceremonies. And this is what? This is 62, and they're already doing the cult thing and the Satan worships and kind of stuff. Right. And you know that a lot of people would say that was, what, in the 70s, 80s, like, the big time when Definitely people were, like, 80s. 80s satanic panic nonsense. Yeah. So Early 90s. there is a really funny part in here that we laughed out loud a couple times. I think we rewound it twice, where they're all sitting down into, like, their circle... <laughs> And there's this old guy, and he's the last. He's to not sit. even old. He's middle. He's like forties. He's like fifty. He might. Okay, we'll say 50. so. <laughs> he he goes to sit down, and like he's obviously uncomfortable, and he can't just sit um, crisscross applesauce normally. Right. So he's like, oh, 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 like that, and like you can spot his like his mild agitation. And I was joking. I was like, he probably like popped his like <laughs> knee or tore his ACL or something like that, and he was like, like. 
injured him for months and it like contributed to his early death or something right. like that. Because he lived so long cut through <laughs> and he's immediately the guy who stands up like when they get trapped. At the end they get trapped in there by a cross, like a mm-hmm. grease paint cross on the wall. Yeah. He's like, what are we gonna do? He's the first one to freak out. Uh, um, it, uh, it was it's similar to like you remember in like the old version of Star Wars, you see if a stormtrooper hit his head like And they don't even hide it. Yeah, they don't even hide it. Like it, it's like they because you see everybody coming it's like bird's eye view and, and like when he goes to sit down he like clearly just Falls on his behind. It's, it's like, just like, oh, it's like discomfort. Yeah, exactly. it's like a preparation H commercial, right? <laughs> like, oh. like, but no, it's okay. It's all I'm right. I'm gonna be honest. It's a beautiful looking movie. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with it. It's just maybe at this point I'm just getting tired of the repetitiveness of some right. of these. And like, I loved. Um, are these the damned? Which I guess is a popular one. Somebody told right. me that that it's a beloved one, but I don't hear many people talk about it. I've always hear people talk about the Draculas mm-hmm. or Frankenstein's. And and it's weird because like when you, when you know before we started this when we talked about Hammer I immediately thought like okay like gothic horror like yeah. Victorian gothic horror you know and and I'm watching all these hammers I'm like man I'm kind of burnt out on this Victorian gothic horror but as soon as we get a good sci-fi one and I'm like oh yeah here we go I, I mean yeah. I pretty much like all of them um, I mean I do like them don't get me wrong and but, I like um, some of the stronger gothic horror ones for yeah. sure I love like Curse um, of the Werewolf is phenomenal but um, Brides of Dracula Brides of Dracula really was really strong um, this one looks really good too yeah this one it, it worked like it's good I'm, I'm not a vampire fan I think I, that might be I, I would put this on par with something like um, Revenge of Frankenstein which isn't great either but yeah. it's probably that and this are probably it's two weakest efforts and I know a lot of people like this one but I just mm-hmm. it just started to lose me like it started off so wonderful great mm-hmm. opening and it just goes a snail pace we don't get a lot of the character actors that we are used to seeing pop yeah up. we don't get a lot of those it's not guys. a Terrence Fisher movie or anything like that so right I mean and it's, it's not bad no, it, it's, it, it goes sluggish in the middle and I think the what was the second Curse of Frankenstein was that Revenge of Frankenstein Revenge of Frankenstein had the same problem. That's what we said, yeah. yeah during that middle, it just... Kind of r- sloppy. Yeah, just kind of sloppy. Like, they probably could have cut a whole lot out. Um, but then it would have been super short. Regardless, yeah. I would give it a slight recommend. Yeah, I would, I would like still I said, recommend it. Here, here's my thing. I I won't unrecommend any... I've not seen a Hammer movie where I was like... I liked all of them to a certain extent. Right. Um, this one, I don't love. But like I said, it's a slight recommend. Yeah. Um... In the John Stanley's Creature Features book, out of five stars, it got three. 1962. Kiss of the Vampire. Heavily re-edited for the U.S. market and retitled Kiss of Evil when released. This released on video in 1995 by MCA. It was produced by Hammer during that long period when Christopher Lee refused to don the cape of Dracula, and the British studio was forced to cast a surrogate count. In this case, Noel Willman, who portrays Dr. Ravna. The good doc invites an English couple honeymooning in Bavaria to his chateau where he and his disciples practice the black arts and drink plenty of blood to keep their strength up a professor resembling van helsing turns the tables on the vampire gang with the help of a squadron of bats one of the better hammer offerings i think this review actually spoiled more than we do yeah directed by don sharp and scripted by producer anthony hines aka john elder clifton f uh, evans uh, edward de souza and isabel black so yeah i think that's a fair review uh probably i I would five and a half out of ten for me so three out of five three out of five three out of five i give it five and a half out of ten that's what i'm going just a little above average for doing ten i'd give it four out of ten below average i mean it starts off just kind of like how bride does and it's if if my least favorite so far is the pirate one that's your least 
I think so, maybe. Or the Abominable Snowman. I'm trying to think if there was another one. It, it's, it's, it's there. I mean, you should watch it, but. Are we going to roll that trailer? I don't okay. remember what next week is. I'll put it here. I'm a lazy boy today. When's Gorgon? I'm going to say that every week until you tell me that it's Gorgon week. Gorgon week. We'll make a big deal out of we it. We will. We'll shoot a video where you're running like, Jeremy, it's Gorgon <laughs> week. And you just screech through the house. <laughs> Yeah, all right. Well, some snakes on the cats. <laughs> <laughs> you have rubber snakes. Like, ah! All right. Well, all right. Well, you guys take care and watch that trailer. See ya. A young couple in love, enjoying a romantic honeymoon, enjoying the pleasure of each other's company, knowing the sublime happiness of the kiss of love. But the kiss of love is a stranger here. Where only evil is good, and the only kiss, the kiss of a vampire. You know what a vampire is? Yes, I've heard of vampire bats. No, not bats, vampires, human vampires. The kiss of the vampire is a spine-chilling drama of two young people who strayed by chance into a nightmare in a twilight world of terror. I want you to initiate Mr. Harcourt into our society. Do you understand what I mean? Okay, we're going to get into the questions. The first one is Tim Haynes. Is that your backyard behind you during the Hammer Time review segment? It looks like a nice yard. Yes, it is. Um, it is a pretty nice yard, although it's big and uh, don't oh, haven't been able to mow it as much as we should right now because it has been brutally hot here and like humidity through the roof and our days off, whatever. You don't need my life story about mowing the lawn. Peter Engelin, question. Talking about Phantom of the Opera, have you seen Dario Argento's version? If so, did you like it? Me personally liked it, and Together with Sleep was Argento's best recent movies, excluding the ones he did for Masters of Horse, and both are quite underrated. No, I have not. I do have the DVD, but it was not one of the ones I wanted to watch. I really need to go through. There's like four Dario movies that I haven't seen. I just need to watch all of them. So maybe maybe Sleepless will be coming up soon. Nick Mua, have you ever been told you look like someone famous from history? If so, who? You know, when I was younger, they used to give me nice ones like, oh, you look like Jared Leto um, back when I was like, you know, 20. <laughs> and then as I got older, they'd be like, you look like Jesus, or you look like Charlie Manson, and I'm like, or Rasputin, I'm like, it just keeps getting worse, doesn't it, doesn't it? Not that Jesus would have been attractive, but Charlie Manson and, you know, Rasputin, come on, guys. <laughs> it's like, Ichabob Crane, I got that before, um, but at work, you know, they're ruthless. Everybody gets made fun of at work. I work in a factory, so it's just like the game of who can be meaner to each other, and we all find it funny because we're horrible people now. Okay, then we have, if you release an autobiography, who would you want to write the introduction? I don't know, probably someone who's close to me or a friend. You know, uh, somebody I worked with, I don't want a stranger to write the introduction about me. It would definitely be a friend or close family member that's still alive, somebody like that. Uh, trick or treating is big in the States, yes. Have you ever had kids or adults 
I don't know why I got the the urge to check the the, uh, the audio thing, but I really did. Trick or treating is big in the states. Yes, have you ever had uh, kids or adults pull a memorable trick on you, or have you ever pulled a memorable trick yourself? Yes, when I was four, it's got to be one of my first early memories. My father took me trick or treating, and we're going around the neighborhood and we get up and it's just like one of these memories that's so old it's like did i make this up but i really don't think i did because i've been saying it for years so um it's more of me remembering the early story version than me actually remembering the memory at this point but there was this coffin and it uh it was filled with candy and there was this still werewolf in there and it looked if to me it reminded me of the um long cheney werewolf you know uh long cheney jr you know original wolfman and he was still, and my dad's like, go up, take a piece, because my dad loved this kind of stuff. So I go to take a piece, and he grabs my arm, and I flipped out. My dad thought it was so funny, and uh, I remember, I never forgot it. It was wonderful. But yeah, I remember that. And um, I remember, uh, yeah, we, we dressed up. One time we lived, um, a bunch of us had a house together, and we lived in a uh, a neighborhood, kind of a junky neighborhood at the time. It was like a college neighborhood. And uh, we all dressed up in outfits and everything like that. My cousin was a werewolf again. And he was in the front yard and he had tied himself to the dog chain that was pegged in there. And he was walking around. And when one of my buddies was in the back of a pickup truck dressed as a scarecrow. And then, uh, uh, who is it? Tracy, a friend of mine, again, had this weird clear mask. I was dressed as like this cold ghoul thing or like ghost. And then, uh, I can't remember. Jeremy was dressed like that too. So, uh, basically we only had like one kid. I actually didn't get the scare, but I was planning on it. We only had one kid come up and the kid was absolutely terrified from my understanding. I went inside for a minute, but, uh, yeah, the, the kid just would not come up and it was the only kid in the whole neighborhood, which is really shame because it would have been a lot of fun and whatnot, but yeah, I, I didn't remember typically playing pranks. I, I have dressed up and just been in outfits like uh, and stuff like that. And kids would be apprehensive to come up to me and stuff to pass out candy. But those are the questions. The answer I ask is, who's everybody's favorite character actors? And I actually put the question on Facebook as well, so I got a lot of replies. Nick Mook, um, Dame Maggie Smith, Danny Trejo, Tilda Swinton, Toby Jones, and Jeffrey Wright, Timothy Hayes. Malcolm McDowell, Michael Berryman, Gary Busey, Christopher Walken, Claude Rains, Harvey Keitel, Adam Sandler. Then we have Dead Flintstone. Steve Buscemi uh, is a great character actor. Happens to get lead roles. I also love Jack Nance, too. R.I.P. Uh, Viper Rose, 1978. Uh, favorite character actor. Too many to mention. Here are some. Jason Robars, Bill Mosley, Andrew Divoff, Dick Miller, John C. Riley. I grew up on... Okay, there we go. Patrick Massell. Uh, I've always been fond of Keith David and Harry Dean Stanton. Jason Michael Willard, Danny Trejo, James Liu, Al Leone, Bill Paxton, Bill Pullman, Keith David, just to name a few. Oh, we got Al in there. Nick Weaver, Henry Silva. Uh, Mondo Ayala. I know Mondo. I always see him repost the videos. I mispronounce your name probably there. Sonny Lanham. Good choice. Casey Robertson, Dick Miller, Harry Dean Stanton. Seen a lot of the same names pop up. Matt Brown, Boris Karlov, Michael Berryman, John Carradine, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Warren Oates, David Hess. Yeah, some good ones, especially the last two. Sean Morarty, uh, Morarty, sorry. We have Dick Miller, Paul Giamatti, Henry Danielle, Edward Norton, and Dwight Fry. Matthew Hudson, uh, David Warner, and Renee. I always mispronounce his last name, so I'm not gonna say it. Renee uh, Arbujuan. I'm not gonna say it. It's French. I always mispronounce his last name, and I apologize. Derek Davis, Clancy Brown, John Carradine, Steve Buscemi, Danny Trejo, just to name a few. Kyle Anthony Rayburn, Sam Rockwell, Trevor Edgar Younger, um, Younger, sorry, Brad Dorif and Gary Ullman, Shane Glass, Brad Dorif, Gabe Rios, Larry Fessendent, Alec Tudyk, 
Good choices. Frank uh, Piccarelli, Daniel Day-Lewis, Gary Ullman, Tom Hardy. Uh, 42nd Street Pete. He's got a nice list for sure. Jack Elam, Strother Martin, LQ Jones, Timothy Carey, Gene Evans, Richard Jekyll, Noah Berry Jr., Sid Haig, Ralph Meeker. Yeah, he's got some uh, Dirty Dozen alumni in there, at least two of them. Some uh, Wild Bunch alumni. He's got lots of good guys. Scott Shermer, Dave James Parker. Ah, James D. Cokes, Michael Parks. And then what else we got? Uh, Jorge uh, De La Rosa, Jeffrey Combs, uh, Barbara Berger, Vincent Price. Love Vinny. Icarus Finn, Rob Schneider. Rob Schneider is a carrot. I'm sorry. I can't help it. Uh, Jeremy R. That's Jeremy. DeVito. Also, Dr. Mortimer and that old drunk from the Hammer films. <laughs> Sadie Tate, Crispin Glover, uh, A.J. Fryer, Michael Parks, Dustin Mills, Brandon Salkill. Love Brandon. Uh, Michael Ironside, Christopher Walken, William Sadler. And then we have some old questions. Of the, okay, wait, Peter Engelin. He says, uh, there are too many favorites, but I'll go with my five actors who are almost never mentioned, who are gone but not forgotten. Timothy Carey, Lino Ventura, Warren Oates, Al Terry, and John P. Ryan. Love John P. Ryan. And uh, Al Terry was totally underrated. Warren Oates is the man, of course. Dave, can I rectify, rectify my, this is also Peter, rectify my five out of five movie? It's actually Mad Max Fury Road. By the way, myself, I'm actually talking about four-star movies, and The Hateful Eight is actually three and a half, and Mad Max is four. Okay. Uh, Bumpus Hounds. Uh, these are some old ones that came in late for a Criterion, favorite Criterion release. Must own Criterion, Naked, runner-up, Female Trouble. Uh, Moy Quoter, Sid and Nancy. I own the DVD which I bought slash bid from eBay after it went out of print. One of the best biography films, and I've come to despise them nowadays. Sid and Nancy was released in months, in recent months on Blu-ray by Criterion for the first time after being out of print for years. I'm guessing it has been cleaned up. By the way, I saw my name on the page for the contest. Rolling on the ground laughing my ass off. Thanks for entering me. Yes, I paused to see it. Okay, all right, guys. Okay, I'm reading some of this into things. Okay, I don't know. All right, so I just want to make sure I didn't miss anything. We have a question of the week, which is uh, what I want to ask you guys is what is your favorite uh, def defunct uh, Blu-ray DVD label? Like one that used to be going strong and then kind of disappeared off the face of the earth like Barrel or BCI. What was your favorite uh, company that's just no longer operating anymore or no longer making releases? Which one? It could be overseas or anything. So what is your favorite now defunct DVD slash Blu-ray label. Okay, and I also want to give a shout out to the Watt Z podcast. Okay, these guys just started out, but they're not, uh, you know, they're old dogs. They're not these new, new fresh guys. They're doing a podcast. It's Dave Z from stuff like Exploding Heads and Banana Laser and uh, Watson from stuff like uh, the Whore Corridor. Oh, I mean, that's a tongue twister for me. But these guys uh, had just started a podcast called the Watt Z Podcast. They have like two or three episodes out right now. They go in depth and do a lot of things. They're divided in like five parts. These are smart guys that know horror, and they're really cool, genuinely good people. I think you should check out the podcast. It's from Horphilia. It, the links will be below everything to subscribe. But give them a chance. They're good guys, and they know their stuff. And uh, I've always enjoyed listening to them podcast. I'm more familiar with Dave Z just because uh, Watson hasn't done as much output as Dave Z. But good guys, uh, good podcast. Check it out. And I guess we're going to hop into the update. Okay, let's get in this update. It's freaking huge. So we got first from Scorpion releasing The Mummy's Revenge. This is a Paul Nashie movie. Definitely want to check it out. Nice slipcover. Uh, yeah, I need to watch a lot of Paul Nashie. I haven't seen very many, but uh, you know, I've only seen a couple and I've liked uh, uh, both of them. So yeah, I have a bunch of them. I'm ready to dive in. Maybe have a Nashie month. Paul Nashie month or Nashie year. Year of the Nash. 
Then we have some from the Warner Archive sale. We got William Holden movie, uh, Wild Rovers. This sounded interesting. Love William Holden. So yeah, let's do it. One of the best westerns of the 70s. Sounds cool. Love the Warner Archive. You can get the uh, 4 for 44 deal. Then we have Papillon with uh, Steve McQueen and Dustin Hoffman. Two classic actors. Never seen this one. Prison movie. Like the actors. Like prison movies. Like the 70s. Here we go. Then we have, I think it was a TV movie, Blue Knight with William Holden and Lee Remick. Yeah. We got William Holden as a cop. Looks like he's getting old and tired of it. Yeah. Interested. We got another Western, Richard Harris, Rod Tyler, Taylor, geez, The Deadly Trackers. I've not heard much about this one, but uh, yeah, it sounded like it was right up my alley. Had a nice little supporting cast, if I remember correctly. So yeah, William Smith, Neville Brand, can't beat that. I like revenge movies. I like westerns. Why not? Then the last of the Warner Archives is Cleopatra Jones. Black exploitation movie. Not seen this. I know there's a sequel. Uh, Want to check this out for sure. Black exploitation movies are a genre that every time I watch them, I enjoy them, but I just haven't seen a lot of the big ones from the genre either. But yeah, I'm ready to dive into those too. Then we have an independent movie. We have Ragmork by uh, Eric Whiting. Eric Whiting did um, stuff like, what was it, Primordial and uh, Hellhounds. Just an indie guy from Ohio. Nice guy, so I figured I'd buy his movie and check it out. Then we have some, oh, droppage. We have some from the Kino sale. We have Annihilators. It has Garrett Graham in it. This looks cheesy, fun. Couldn't pass it up. Love the Kino sale. Probably get some more. Uh, it ends August 5th, so it'll probably be over by the time you see this, but yeah. Love Love Kino. We got The Brinks Job. Great cast in this. Couldn't pass this up. I have the DVD. I haven't had a chance to watch it. Peter Falk, Peter Boyle, Warren Oates, Gina Rollins, Paul Servano. Come on. Or Servino, however you want to say it. But yeah, heist movie. And didn't William... Somebody big did this one. Who was it? William Freakin or something. like. Yeah, William Freakin directed this. So yeah, definitely going to check this one out. Then we have David Lynch, Lost Highway. I know this had some controversial with its release, but hey, for the price, couldn't pass it up. Never seen this one. I tried to watch it when I was younger. I was like like 14 or something, and I was like, I don't I don't know what's happening. <laughs> but yeah, definitely willing to check it out. We have Mississippi Burning. I saw this in school years, years back, high school, I think. Uh, great cast in here. Gene Hackman, Willem Dafoe, Brad Dorif, Michael Rooker. There's some other people in here, too. Um, yeah, but I remember this movie being a really great movie, and I believe based on a true story. Uh, the Border. Freaking like this movie quite a bit. Uh, the trailer is the best thing ever. I have reviewed this uh, from a German import. There is a UK release too, but it's got Warren Oates and uh, Jack Nicholson, Harvey Keitel. Uh, just love Jack Nicholson. Um, yeah, great, cool movie. Then we got this one that the Pure Cinema, Cinema Podcast has been pumping for months. Uh, the Silent Partner. Sounded cool. Elliot Gould, Christopher Plummer, Suzanne York from Images. Great movie by Robert Altman. But yeah, this looks cool. You know, Elliot Gould is a guy, <laughs> I'm going to say this, I know him from his comedy work later on, like, I, when I was a kid, the only movie I knew Elliot Gould was from, like, Dead Men Don't Die, which is a really, really silly zombie movie. Um, here we have Black Moon Rising, I believe Carpenter came up with the story here, Linda Hamilton, Tommy Lee Jones, can't go wrong with the Tommy Lee Jones action deal, but it's got nice features on there, it's got Robert Vaughn, it has a nice cast too, whoever, Richard Jekyll, Bubba Smith, come on, good stuff, good stuff. And then the last Kino one is uh, The Nightcomers with Marlon Brando by Michael Winter. Michael Winter did tons of Bronson stuff, The Sentinel. 
this looked good. Like I, I saw stills from it. I was like, this looks really crisp. And Harry Andrews, man, is he um is he the old man from the Hammer movies? I want to say that we have been that I had been in Curse of Werewolf. I want to say he is. Don't quote me on that. Then we have some from the Arrow sale that finally came. Incident in a Ghost Land. I can't remember if this is by the director of um, Insider Martyrs. I always confuse those two. But yeah, I heard some pretty crazy things. I think this might be Inside. Don't quote me on Martyrs. I don't remember. We'll find out. Martyrs, Martyrs. Okay, cool. Yeah. So I'm interested in checking that out. Heard pretty decent things. Then we have The Heathers. Classic cult movie. Went on to writer Christian Slater. Very fun, very fun. And uh, I don't think this is getting a release in the state, so yeah. Lots of features on there. Then we have one by John Frankenheimer. Heard great things about this one. Burt Lancaster, The Train. Looks cool. Not big on that cover. I don't care for that cover art, to be honest. But hey, it's not about the cover art all the time. It's about the movie. So yeah, want to check this one out. And then we have another one, Hounds of Love. And this movie, honestly, is one that I, I bought on Voodoo and I started watching. And I was like, I don't... This is well-made and well-acted, but I'm just not getting into it. And I was like, this has got to just be like 10 minutes in. I can turn it off. And I was already like 40 minutes into the movie, and like I felt like I was just not feeling it. But that's Hounds of Love. I, I'm willing to rewatch, obviously. Uh, back to the video, guys. Okay, guys. Thank you very much for watching. As always, you guys have a good one. Eh.